Did you know that there's a video game where you can design and control robots? Hear about it next on the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. I'm Pius Wong in Austin, Texas. My guest is Dan White, co-founder of the educational video game company, Filament Games. Dan's company has been developing Roboco, a video game to teach robotics, and it's been funded from the National Science Foundation. Dan spoke to me about it recently on a call from Wisconsin. So my name is Dan White. I am the CEO at a company called Filament Games, located in Madison, Wisconsin. But what does that mean anymore? Because everybody's remote. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we are a company that makes educational video games, and we've been doing that for 16 years. So we have created, at this point, hundreds of educational video games about a huge eclectic mix of different topics, ranging from things in K-12, you know, core subject areas in K-12, all the way up to adult education. Hmm and a variety of different platforms so we do you know we do pc based games web based games we do vr mobile it's really for us it's less about the subject area and the platform and more about the methodology of designing games that uh cre- you know where we create authentic play mechanics around a set of learning objectives so that by mastering the game you are mastering those learning objectives And I've spoken with several leaders of different groups, educational groups and industry groups. You're in an interesting category. I mean, you're in a in a gaming business, but you have this educational mission as well. What does the CEO of a of an educational games company do? Are you just having fun all the time? (laughs) Are you looking at test scores? Like, help me understand that. Uh, That's such a funny question. Um, I love it. Uh, It's it's so different from day to day, and my role is a little bit unique maybe at an educational video game company because we have well for two reasons one is we're sort of two companies under one roof and i'll talk about that in a second and the other is because i have two other founding partners and at the very Mm -hmm. beginning of the company uh, one was a programmer technical guy and the other was a designer ux kind of guy and so they're like, okay, we're going to go do all the fun game dev stuff. You figure out the HR legal, you know, <laughs> hiring, yeah, business plan, business model, business development, marketing, sales, et cetera. So, so that, that stuff, and, and that's, I throw them under the bus, but that, that's not exactly <laughs> how it happened. I'm editorializing there a little bit, but um, yeah, so I oversee admin, sales, marketing, finance, and overall strategy at the organization. And then as I mentioned, kind of two different companies under one roof. So mm-hmm. for the last 16 years, most of our business has been focused on developing bespoke content for on a work-for-hire basis for publishers, for not-for-profit, mission-driven not-for-profits like iCivics, for, uh, Smithsonian organizations like that. We work with researchers a fair bit. Now we're starting to work with organization, you know, VC-funded startups that are making learning games as medicine. So all, all kinds of cool, interesting stuff. Um, and then the other side of the business is that we're developing this digital robotics game to, to basically teach robotics and engineering and coding and STEM through a video game. And so I oversee that as well. That's RoboCo, right? That's RoboCo. Yep. Yeah. And I do definitely want to get into the details about RoboCo. I'm still kind of, you know, asking general stuff, but I didn't know that RoboCo was kind of this separate entity that you that you all are are working on. Why is that kind of a separate business, this robotics education game? 
Yeah, so usually people come to us and they hire us to make a thing for them and then they go off and do what they're going to do with it. Whereas this was our idea slash IP and we went out and we applied for National Science Foundation funding. So we own this IP, uh, which is the, the big distinction between a lot of the other work mm. that we do. So we'll be taking it to market and it will succeed or fail based on its merits and our efforts um, versus uh, everything else that we do on a work for hire basis is is really the, more the property and the responsibility of the clients that we develop the content for. Got it. I'm super interested in learning more about Roboco. I'm still going to get about your background a little bit. Um, going back to the founding, you said you all have been in business since uh, for 16 years. So like back in 2005, when you were first yeah. founding Filament Games uh, with your two co-founders, why did you do this? I guess, why did you all create a a game-based learning company? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, this is one of the things that actually sets us apart because there are a number of other game development studios that either started doing educational media, but not games, or started doing games, but not educational, and then sort of pivoted or added that to, to their portfolio. Whereas Filament was one of the few, if not only, companies built from the ground up with the express purpose of purpose of developing educational games. And the reason for that is, is I mean, basically all three of the founding partners were avid gamers. We all believed in the power of games to have an impact on people. And we all believed that uh, they were an underutilized medium, basically, that um, games had the power to have this profound impact on people, but they were primarily being used for entertainment purposes. Um, and in, right. in some cases for somewhat uh, perhaps deplorable purposes. And so we basically said, all right, well, this this medium is 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 what you do with it, right? Um, and uh, it's a blank canvas and we can we can draw guns on that canvas or we can or we can use that canvas in order to draw things that enrich people and empower them and change their lives and give them skills and abilities and mindsets and knowledge that have real utility in the world uh, outside of the game. And so, uh, so I, I had come from a background of working on virtual science museums at Cornell, and uh, the experience that, that I had there was profoundly positive because the museums that we made, the virtual museums that we made, were frankly absolute garbage, uh, but the, the students <laughs> loved them. And we were teaching advanced genetics concepts in these museums. And I was like, man, if these are bad and, and they're good, <laughs> imagine if they were good. Right, right. <laughs> and so I got together with Dan and Alex and we started building some prototypes. We first built a prototype to try to teach about the fall of the Roman Empire and then built a prototype to teach about ocean science, where you get to play the role of an ocean scientist using the tools of science to collect data about it. But these people, they, these were clients. These were people coming to you to partner to create these so things. At this stage, these were just things that we were building for fun of our oh, own okay. volition. Yep. Yeah. And simultaneously, I, I enrolled in a graduate student program about uh, education, uh, education technology program to try to learn about the, the theories and methodologies that underpin uh, so how educational technologies are traditionally developed. And then the effort at that point was to try to, or the ambition rather, was to try to merge what I knew about learning theory and learning science with mm -hmm. the with the power of this, this new underutilized technology of, of games and gaming. I think there might have been a lot of progress since uh, then. I think games are starting to be more recognized for their potential. Yep. Uh, let's just talk generally about what a learning game is. I remember going to a, a gaming conference, the PAX South conference. I don't know oh, if you, okay. you've been. Yeah. And there was a presenter there. She was a music teacher. 
And she was a big avid gamer and she was all about, you know, the same mission that you're talking about. And she always brings up the infamous game, Oregon Trail. Yeah. And it's like, is it a learning game or is it edutainment? All she yep. learned was that dysentery was bad, stuff like that. <laughs> and so I'm wondering what in your opinion or in your company's view is a good learning game? Oh, I love that question, Pius. How much time you got? <laughs> uh, yeah, summarize it down to three me, points. No, I don't know. Whatever, whatever let me you get want out to my right soapbox now. here. Look, look, if a teacher is listening who's not like an avid gamer, what should they know, I yeah. guess, about what a good game is versus you know, some crappy app on their phone? I love it. Yeah, no, this is so important because there's there's actually not a lot of literacy just in general about the difference in types of learning games. And so I, I want to I want you to picture to start a spectrum, and on one end of the spectrum, you have what I'll call quiz games, which are essentially mm. candy coated multiple choice questions. So the core gameplay mechanic is a multiple choice question, and uh, and surrounding that multiple choice question are maybe some fun graphics or some amplification of input. Um, maybe you're racing rocket ships, and if you answer the math question correctly, your rocket ship goes faster. You get the idea. On the other end of that spectrum are games that teach things like 21st century skills. So they teach soft skills like critical thinking, problem solving. They deal in systems understandings. Um, there's probably a lot of complex problem solving. There's probably a lot of strategizing. And there may be content that comes along for the ride. So maybe you will learn some mathematics content or science content. Maybe you'll learn what a mitochondria is and how it functions. Uh, maybe you'll learn how to do long-form division. But the point is that when you're on that, when you're playing games on that end of the spectrum, the playing mechanics, A, feel really genuine and authentic to the content. So the problems that you're solving don't feel contrived. They feel like interesting problems that matter okay. inside the game space. And, and, uh, and, and of course, the other thing is that the things that you're learning are things that should directly translate in some meaningful and important way outside of the game and into the real world. And so that's what I love about games in particular on this end of the spectrum, because so much of what matters in the real world now are these sort of higher order thinking skills that uh, prepare students for solving really complex and difficult problems and working in collaborative teams and things of that nature. Uh, and, th and then there's a whole bunch of games, you know, somewhere in the middle um, mm -hmm. that, you know, so I, I like to point to iCivics as an example of this because we've we've made a series of games that teach civics education and there there are definitely authentic play mechanics at the center of those experiences. Um, but we also, you know, one of our main missions is to make sure that you understand how a bill passes through Congress, to make mm -hmm. sure you understand what the president does. So they are content heavy experiences as well, even though they have authentic gameplay mechanics around them. So so the 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 long and the short of it is, you know, if 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 the gameplay mechanic is distilled down to a multiple choice question and ultimately divorced from the play or the theming, so like if the fact that you're flying rocket ships has nothing to do with the math, then I would qual I would categorize that as quiz game. Um, and and if it were up to me, I would just not call it a game uh, altogether. And if you are engaged in uh, sort of higher order thinking as you engage with a rich and deep and interesting problem space, where at the same time you are also uh, engaging with the, the learning objectives and the high level concepts, 
that we want you to understand and be able to translate into the real world, then you're then you're further over on the right side of the spectrum. Okay, and I'm glad you gave me that example of your game iCivics as as a game that you think really does that well. I'm curious what your favorite learning game is, maybe outside of what you've all created, so that if there were other examples people should look for, what what would they what should they go for? Yeah, so I, I mentioned that ocean science game early on, and the reason that I want to bring that back up is because that was a, a near perfect instantiation of our ultimate vision for what learning games can and should do. Um, it was a sandbox space, which means the player had lots of agency to decide how they went about solving things. It wasn't about right or wrong. It was about, you know, here's a really interesting question about how this ecosystem works, and then it's up to you using the the tools of science uh, to um, collect data and and draw inferences about what you're seeing, your observations. It's really, you know, across the last six, six, 16 years, there's not been a lot of opportunities to develop games as far on the right side of that spectrum that I mentioned. Mm. Uh, until, uh, honestly, until RoboCo, um, which is one of the first sandbox games that we've been able to develop since that first one that we developed when we founded the company 16 years ago. And you know, I'm, I'm very partial to these types of experiences, I think in part because they really tickle my brain, but also because I think that they, they embody the types of skills and perhaps the types of cognition or thinking that uh, we know correlates really well with student success outside of school. Uh, and that's the thing that gets me so excited about them. Yeah, you're, you're definitely touching on things that listeners of this podcast are interested in. It's it's all about engineering education. Yep. And yeah, we want people to be creative, problem solvers, that kind of thing. And um, yeah, you talked about really being partial to those open world or like sandbox games where players get to be more creative. Do you have opinions about the existing sandbox games that are out there like Minecraft or um, I assume Roblox, I guess, is sort of like yep. that. What do yep. you think about those games versus what you're trying to do? Yeah. So incidentally, we actually are developing a version of RoboCo on the Roblox platform as well. Um, the the core game is the initial game was developed in Unity, and is currently still in development. But we're also developing a, a Roblox experience. Uh, as far as yeah, sandbox games like you know Minecraft, Besieged, Space Engineers. Um, you know, each one is definitely unique unto itself right but in general um whether it's a sandbox game that's designed explicitly for learning or just a sandbox game that's designed for the purposes of entertainment i think there's a tremendous amount of value to uh, cutting learners loose in those creative spaces and giving them the agency to uh, to to make interesting decisions about what they want to create and how they want to shape the world um, obviously, some people will sink and some people will s swim in that open-ended context, right? So some people can be really self-directed and they, they come into those spaces with visions of their own and can execute on those visions with very little guidance. Right. In other cases, they may you know, founder a little bit or need more scaffolding or, or more structure. So that's the, that's the biggest challenge uh, with, with these sandbox spaces. And then of course, in the context of using them in formal learning environments, you know, you, I, I don't know if you followed the Minecraft EDU. Um, Just a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, so they're trying to create that scaffolding basically around a space that otherwise is, you know, has a lot of educational potential. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you put, 
10 students in that space and left to their own devices, they're going to do 10 completely different things. And maybe, you know, 10 of them will do useful things or maybe zero of them <laughs> will do useful things, you know, yeah, <laughs> your totally. mileage may vary. Right. Um, let's get into RoboCode then. I mean, we, we started talking about it already. So you already said that this is your IP. Uh, I know that RoboCo is a game where players can design and and control their own robots in this digital world, which is kind of awesome. Where did this idea come from then? Why did you want to do this? Why did you apply for the NSF grant? All of that. Tell me about the origins. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it really goes back to this idea that, you know, in... Well, so I have a nine-year-old. By the time he graduates from school, from everything we understand about machine learning and roboticization, the workforce is going to look a lot different then than it does now. And I was very concerned about the extent to which education is sort of preparing him for that world and giving him the skills that he will need to succeed in that world. And so when you look to you know places in school where um, students are being well-prepared, uh, robot, robotics clubs, whether they're after school or part of a formal curriculum during the day, um, are these like superfood of 21st century skills where I feel like you see students diving in and um, not only learning, but sort of reinforcing and practicing the types of skills that will allow them to succeed in the real world outside of school. And mm -hmm. so it just seemed like this really rich space for uh well, just it just seems like there's a, there's a an amazing track record of success of students who participate in robotics and engineering programs going on to get awesome jobs in and STEM degrees um, after participating in those experiences, whether they're extracurricular or not. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so we were we were, we had drunk we had drunk drank that Kool Aid we we had that Kool Aid <laughs> in our in us, <laughs> and. Um, and then, you know, we, we sort of realized, well, okay, well, as, as great as this is, of course, there's a couple of limitations. The obvious one is, you know, logistics and costs. So hardware, robotics hardware is super expensive. You have to, you know, it's a, these are physical kits that have to be shipped. Parts get lost. Parts have to be stored. Um, the cost per student can be pretty significant. Not all students get to participate. Not all schools are able to have programs, et cetera, et cetera. So we thought, uh, you know, there, there should absolutely be a digital robotics solution, whether it is the only thing that a school has access to because of budgetary reasons or, or what mm -hmm. have you, or it's a supplement or augment to uh, one or more physical kits. And if it's the latter, then maybe you know they're prototyping in the digital space because they can do that rapidly and then sort of fleshing out some of their ideas before they build them in hardware. Or maybe it's there's not enough kits for all the kids. So some mm -hmm. of them are on the hardware, some of them are on the software. There's a lot of different permutations. But basically the idea was there's definitely, as wonderful as robotics is and as effective as these programs are, there are definitely some some shortcomings that we felt like we could shore sure. up by offering yeah. a digital solution. How long ago did you start working on it? It's been years at this point. I want to say our phase one NSF proposal went in sometime around 2016. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so I, we've been at it for a while. Yeah. You, I, I saw that you have a VR version, a virtual reality version mm -hmm. of RoboCo. Yeah. And you're coming out with the more... Uh, accessible maybe pc version is that right 
that's right. Yep, it's going to be on PC and then uh, the Quest 2. And then, uh, so there'll be a standalone version on the Quest 2. And then for anybody who plays it on PC, you can basically toggle back and forth between PC and VR. If you have that equipment, if you don't have any VR equipment, you can play the whole thing in PC. And it looks really cool. You can go on YouTube and see people yeah. doing a, a Let's Play for uh, Roboco, at least for your older versions. Yes. And it's really neat to see what early reviews are of your, at least your VR version of the game or your old version. Um, I saw one writer, Scott Hayden, I guess, from uh, Road to VR. He he said something that there was like joy in building both useful and crappy robots. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of his quotes. And I thought that was such a great way to put it. Wondering what you think, you know, CEO of Filament Games, what do you think about that idea? Is there a usefulness to, to even in a digital world, is there usefulness or joy in building crappy robots? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the one of the first things that became apparent to me when we started developing this digital robotics uh, kit was that there was a level of sort of playfulness or whimsy associated with it that I don't think you necessarily get when you're participating in a more traditional robotics ecosystem. Uh, so, for example, we we added cosmetics to the game, so you can put some googly eyes on your robot if you want. You know, you can. You can put a Viking helmet on your robot if you want. You can put it in a tuxedo, you know. So we, and, and part of this flows from the humor of the development team. Some of the developers mm -hmm. on the team just have an awesome sense of humor. And the game is, is uh, sort of absorbs some of that through osmosis. But um, yeah, no, I, I think there's, you know, part, one of our objectives is definitely to create a, uh, a more approachable on-ramp into the robotics space for people who may otherwise be intimidated by it, because ultimately we're also trying to you know, broaden participation in these disciplines. And mm -hmm. so we're trying to figure out how to make it appeal to a larger population of people. And I think part of that is, is you know, this message that like, hey, like, this isn't this doesn't all just have to be like hardcore engineering stuff like it's okay to be it's okay to have fun it's okay to think about the aesthetics it's okay to create robots that are just ridiculous and stupid it's okay to create robots that uh you know just cause absolute mayhem um and sure. uh, as long as you're doing you know authentic engineering thinking at the center of that process um then from our perspective it's okay to have some fun with it and so let's talk about the fun aspect. I mean, it is still a game. And so I know you said it's a sandbox uh, game where you can kind of be creative, build your own robot. But yep. typically when people think of games, maybe they might think of winning and losing or maybe collaboration, playing with other players. Like what kind of game mechanics are there in RoboCo? Yeah, so it's actually a little bit of both. So right now, this this Unity version of RoboCo is a single player game where you are building. Ro there's a sandbox space where you can just do whatever you want, mm -hmm. um, but then there's also these challenge levels, and these challenge levels basically ask you to build a robot to solve a particular objective or or set of objectives. For example. So, Yep. So for example, build a robot that can deliver a sandwich to a table without breaking the plate and keeping the sandwich on the table, cross a gap to turn a valve, uh, you know, without falling into the gap or, or touching certain things, um, build a, a robot that can break a pinata, that can um, shoot a soda can into somebody's hand across the room. Uh, so really, really diverse mix of things. And of course, because it's digital, you know, we can these can be any anything we want, and we can add new challenges all the time. So we can, you know, we can create a challenge where you 
are designing uh, a vehicle that works well on uneven terrain mm-hmm. on Mars or something like that. So we have a ton of we have a ton of flexibility in the types of challenge environments that we create. So even though it's a single player game, we then we're now actually in the process of running an MVP or first season with first global and their and their population around the world of participants. Uh, where that is a competitive experience where each team will be submitting their best runs, their highest scored runs, and then their ultimate scores will be a combination of the score they get from the game based on how quickly they completed the challenge, how many subtasks they completed, uh, the budget of their robot, how efficient they were in that respect. And then there will also be a panel of uh, real-world you know, meat space judges who will be judging the robots based on aesthetics and engineering efficacy and things of that nature. And, uh, and then those runs will be compiled together and broadcast in an ESPN-style stream on uh, Twitch and YouTube. So it'll feel like a real sporting event, but with, nice. but with robotics. Uh, ultimately, we do hope to be able to add synchronous multiplayer to the experience. So instead of having people submit their runs and then having them compiled during the post-production process, uh, we hope to be able to actually have it be live with people going head-to-head in the, in the game space. And that will be the case from day one with the Roblox version of the game, since that's mm, an inherently yeah, multiplayer yeah. platform. That's very cool. That was part of my questions I wanted to ask you later, like future plans for it. But I guess going back to the current iteration of the game, I just want to know if I understand it correctly since I haven't played it directly yet. Uh, I understand that the way it works is, yeah, you get to design robots, like really detailed aspects of the physical design, right? They choose, you choose actuators, the degrees of freedom that uh, different arms have, whether it's a wheel or a sliding joint, all that stuff. And the players control all these things manually. Is that correct? Like it's not automated. Do they program that? Or is it just really about the, the physics of it all? It is both. So we okay. started with the mechanical engineering because there there are a number of existing apps that have you program robots, but they're primarily coding apps with kind of a robotics right. veneer because you're not doing anything mechanical. Uh, uh, so we, we started with the mechanical side because that's where we felt the biggest gap was in the mm-hmm. virtual offering. And yeah, like you say, you you piece together robots with individual parts with your you know your belts and your springs and your pistons and uh, your motors, you can tweak the properties of the motors, like the torque and the RPM, all that kind of stuff. Um, you can create custom parts. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then we're actually working on programming right now. So initially it will be a text-based programming interface and you'll be able to, uh, so actually it's it's great that you asked that because just yesterday that one of our engineers for the first time demonstrated having their robot solve a challenge entirely autonomously. So, uh, autonomously. so they programmed they programmed the script for the robot to run, and then it ran and completed the entire challenge of delivering the sandwich to the table without um, any manual input. That's so by awesome. default, yeah, by default you control it through RC controllers, which you wire mm-hmm. up to the motors, and then, and then, uh, yeah, by early next year we'll have programming complete, and you'll be able to do it autonomously as well. I felt that number one, the program adding that programming part is great. But even if it didn't have that, that mechanical engineering part is really neat because um, it even reminded me that that uh, user interface, it reminded me of, in a way, CAD programs yep. laying out your designs and putting parts together. And yep. um, I'm wondering if you're trying to integrate it with 
that kind of software or that kind of knowledge? Can you like export CAD files or import stuff if you want to share robots? Yeah, so we we do have robot sh actually robot sharing is something we're working on right now. And there will be robot sharing on Steam Workshop, and then we're also going to create for people who don't engage with it on Steam, mainly people in the education community. Uh, there will be um, a filament run platform for robot sharing, and ultimately level sharing as well. Mm. Uh, so people can create uh, create and edit their own levels and then share them with each other, their own challenges. Um, which of course is another really cool way of thinking about engineering is thinking about the problem space first as opposed to the solution space first yeah. um but uh yes um i'm sorry not and i got so excited about level editing that i forgot the initial question <laughs> uh me too no just that uh if you were trying to integrate it more with cad at oh, all it yeah. looked like it already yeah. was that's why i was curious about that yeah, you can def you'll definitely be able to share robots in within the Roboco ecosystem. Um, we don't have any plans right now to make it so that you could like import a 3D model from CAD mm -hmm. or any other 3D program, but I love that idea. I think that'd be super cool. I also think it'd be super cool if at some point you'd be able to uh, print out, you know, if you had a 3D printer totally. to be able to print out your creations. That'd be amazing. Your NSF grant better be uh, renewed or yeah. something. So um, I, I think you you definitely, with the videos out there and with your description, I kind of understand the game elements of it. It sounds fun to me. I want to talk about the learning elements too. It's not like they're two different things. It's totally integrated. But as an educator, I'm sure that any teacher listening, me, myself, I'd be interested in what you call the scaffolding around the game or that yeah. whole environment um, I'm thinking of the curriculum. I'm thinking of, do teachers have to be trained how to use this game? I'm thinking, yep. what are the age ranges? Like all these things that teachers think about. Yeah. Um, what is like a brief, ideal educational environment in which to integrate RoboCo? Yeah, so uh, we are working on lesson plans to try to make it as plug and play as possible. Uh, for the testing that we've done so far in the classroom, course we haven't had these lesson plans available so we've primarily just been studying what happens when teachers put the put the game in the classroom and let the mm -hmm. students go and what are what sorts of things do they get stuck on what sorts of lessons do they learn etc cetera, etc cetera. the game definitely has a steep learning curve it's the first thing that we've learned and i think that's a direct product of like you said it it is very cad like so it's it is a you know we it, we call it a game but it is definitely very much a, a program for for building uh, robots in a 3D space. And so there are several literacies that have to converge in order for people to be successful at that. They have to understand navigating a 3D space. You know, so familiarity with programs like CAD and how 3D objects interact with each other is also a great prerequisite. People who are comfortable in 3D gaming environments usually have no mm -hmm. problem. Um, people who, who don't have that background uh, have a steeper learning curve to face for sure. So there's definitely a period of time where the you know players just have to learn the software before they can really learn from the software. And that's a very common thing with all learning games. And we accomplish that through a, a series of tutorials. Uh, mm -hmm. But because this game is more complex, of course, we have to strike the right balance between tutorialization and then giving the player the feeling that they're actually playing the game. Because mm -hmm. nobody likes to be in tutorial land for too long, especially outside of outside of school when people are at home, they have very limited patience for tutorials. They want to feel like they're doing the real thing. So we've been we've been designing tutorials, like for example, we have a series of 
of many challenges that we're designing right now that we call robot repair challenges. And mm. in these challenges, you you start with a pre-built robot and you just have to fix one thing that's wrong with it. So maybe it can't get up the hill because the torque needs to be adjusted or you know, it can't do a particular thing because a joint uh, is not configured properly. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, so we teach, we sort of break down some of the concepts as small as we can through these robot repair challenges. But yeah, ultimately, uh, we don't know exactly how much of that scaffolding is going to live inside the game versus outside mm -hmm. the game in lesson plans. Um, and we definitely acknowledge that, um, you know, it will be more successful in a classroom context if if we can be a little bit more prescriptive about how the game can be used to teach specific engineering concepts. Hmm. How are you assessing or judging if your game is actually teaching what you want it to teach? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's a that's the the million dollar question. And assessment in games is uh has a, has a very interesting history um, as as you might imagine a lot of the games that have produced good assessment results are games that themselves look like assessments so it mm -hmm. gets more complicated when you're talking about complex you know sandbox games where you know there's not a there's not a multiple choice question in sight um, but then at the end you know most of the assessment vehicles that we have available to us do end up being yeah. multiple choice questions so how do you tra effectively translate the experience that the player had in this sort of rich 3D environment into a flatter assessment, um, and that's that's definitely a challenge. Um, so we we uh, as part of the NSF grant, we do research uh, with a third party firm, and that firm does exactly that. They they give uh, a cohort of educators access to the game, and then afterwards they do surveys and interviews and assessments mm -hmm. to determine the efficacy of, of the game in terms of teaching not only engineering concepts, but also things like self-efficacy so or identity, um, delta and identity. So to what extent did somebody play the game and go from thinking of themselves as not an engineer to thinking of themselves as an engineer or somebody who can do engineering and be efficacious? So, uh, so yeah, we actually, that report is being written up as, hmm. as we speak. Um, and we'll have that data relatively soon. But just anecdotally so far, you know, what we've seen is that uh, the the game really challenges players to think about how to design a more elegant solution to a problem. And the, the challenge that we're having right now is that people's most people's basic instinct when presented with these types of problem spaces is to build a relatively rudimentary robot and then try to solve the challenge through their manual dexterity instead of iterating on the design of their mm -hmm. robot and making the design itself more elegant so that it doesn't require as much manual dexterity. And I think this is most likely a, a challenge with robotics in general, but uh, how we we haven't quite figured out the best way to convey to the player that when their design fails, that they shouldn't just try 
to try again, but like try harder at controlling the robot, right. that they should actually change the fundamental design. We've thought about things like, well, maybe what if we had a log where each time you did a run, you would say, okay, this is version one. And then you'd write down some notes about what went well and what didn't go well with version one. And then you would, you know, so the game would try to like scaffold you toward that iteration. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's hmm. a tricky thing to do without being really heavy handed. Yeah. So if anybody, if any of the listeners have great ideas about how we could, how they solve this with their students, we would absolutely love to hear it. It's interesting because I would assume that that is part of the challenge of a real physical robotics course. Like you, you're saying that you want to challenge players to be better designers, not better RC controllers. Yes. You know. Right. Exactly. And I, yeah, I'm sure there are some robotics teachers or coaches who might have thought about similar things. Do you find in your early data, do players or young students, I guess, playing RoboCode, do they become better at designing physical robots? Do they become more interested in designing physical robots or building physical things? You know, one of the things that we that we saw when we tested early on is particularly for people who were coming into robotics for the first time. So now we're talking about younger, younger kids, um, you know, late elementary, early middle school. Uh, the several of the teachers we talked to said that one of the challenges they had is that it takes so long with physical robotics for those students to get their first win, mm, okay. uh, to get that first moment where everything's working and they can see their creation come to life, that uh, it was really useful from a motivational perspective for those same students to be able to get in and instead of, you know, in a matter of weeks, but rather in a matter of hours, be able to get something up and running and feel like they were making progress. Um, and so I think I think that's going to be really, again, sort of coming back to this idea of the, of the game as an on-ramp into these affinity spaces, as opposed to a replacement for them um, and a, a complement to them. Uh, I think, yeah, I think the idea that you can prototype and iterate much more rapidly is going to be really important. That makes a lot of sense. I didn't think about that, that the payoff cycle is just faster. Exactly. Um, yeah. Does that help you think in increasing access or interest to robotics? I remember speaking to lots of people. What comes to mind is I, I spoke to someone for this podcast, Danielle Boyer. She's a young student, very interested in robotics, but she was making it real clear she wants more girls interested mm-hmm. in and doing robotics, uh, more native peoples, more minorities, just people who either never had access to it or just weren't exposed to it uh, yeah. to to build stuff. But I'm curious if like this game, RoboCo, number one, could that help that process? Or number two, are you attracting audiences that are more diverse that could help the whole robotics or STEM pipeline? Basically, where does RoboCo sit in this whole push to increase access to robotics? Yeah, that is that is square on the nose of the mission for what we're doing here, you know, and it's, and, and so far it is a hypothesis, right? But yeah, the hypothesis is that by creating an experience that is aesthetically inviting, that is whimsical and doesn't take itself too seriously, even though there is a very hardcore building mechanic at the core of the experience, a very deep and robust engineering experience at the core, the presentation is designed to be as inviting and accessible as possible. And so, yeah, the hypo- and, and, and also because it's a game and 
and we, you know, you know, statistics suggest that um, the vast majority of of students who have access to games are playing them, at least some amount of the time, in those age demographics. Uh, we're also hoping that we can broaden the appeal that way as well. Um, so yeah, we're essentially we're trying to open as many doors as possible to as many different types of people to have that opportunity to say, oh, okay, I didn't really like. Maybe I thought robots were cool. Maybe I didn't, but I didn't really know what robotics was all about. I didn't really get that, you know, it's about designing solutions to actual problems and then iterating on those solutions through the engineering design cycle to refine uh, the refine the solution and ultimately come up with the most elegant solution to a complex problem. And I, I've definitely, I will count myself among those people. You know, I prior to this, I think because of all of our years, um, you know, working in STEM education, I I always knew that robotics and 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 engineering were a really important piece of the puzzle, but I never had a lot of personal experience. I, I was mm -hmm. never on a a, a a first robotics club or anything mm -hmm. like that, uh, so I never had any hands-on experience prior to this with robotics. And the first couple times that I that I was able to get into the game and build a creation that was uniquely mine and uh, solve the, the challenge in a way that was different than anybody else who would, who would play the game and solve that challenge. I had this just absolute light bulb moment of like, oh, wow, okay, so there really are, there essentially are infinite solutions to all of these problems. Um, and and I, ha I can have a huge amount of ownership over this creative space uh, in order to bring a particular vision to light uh, to life, and 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 actually create something that helps people in the world, you know whether, you know in the game obviously you're building robots that can deliver sandwiches and, and cross gaps, but um, you know in in the real world people are building robots to do all kinds of super important things, and I think uh, you know like it doesn't take long in the game to make that connection that robots can do really important things and that you the player can be the type of person who who comes up with these solutions i'm wondering if you encountered in any of your research like preparing for your nsf grants or or otherwise if there were other games since y'all are in this game space other games or game companies that have done that well that have broadened access to engineering learning or just is there anything that are kind of like heroes in a way, gaming heroes that have done something right that you, you're trying to implement in RoboCo? Yeah, I, I can't think of the killer app for STEM. I know, you know, thinking about the consumer game space, for example, the game Civilization has absolutely done that for uh, history, world history. Um, this is a game where you basically are building a civilization from the dawn of time uh, onto present day and beyond. And there is there are generations of people who may never otherwise have had any interest in histor in history or or the rules mm -hmm. of history how that that all plays out had they not become completely consumed by this game and the community around it um, which is essentially a community that interacts with the rules of history in this giant sandbox space where you get to make decisions for a civilization across time about how you're going to interact politically with other uh, other civilizations, how you're going to 
you know, strategy around war and resources, religion, all that kind of stuff. There's no doubt in my mind that there are many historians who uh, probably got into history in the first place because of this profound experience that they had uh, in their formative years. And, you know, there's there's a handful of examples of those types of experiences in other subject areas, but there's really not a lot out there in STEM. And that, and that's part of what we are, that's part of what we are trying to change um, because that's obviously, um, uh, you know, not, not only do STEM disciplines actually lend themselves really well to video games uh, because they often have very deep and interesting systems at their core, uh, but they're also obviously just super important to to the future of our economy and the future of the world at large. I mean, you talk about how civilization succeeded because of, I guess, the rich story that it tells, which is just history. I'm wondering if that's part of what you're trying to bring into Roboco. Like bringing someone a sandwich isn't really a story, but like this whole <laughs> aesthetic that you're creating. I don't know. Are, are you trying to like, I'm basically thinking, what about civilization, for example, are you trying to bring into into Roboco or the games that you make? Yeah, it's that player agency. It's the agency to play with the rules of the discipline. So mm -hmm. in Civilization, players have unfettered, the unfettered ability to play with the rules of history and sort of to change, to change what happens based on their own decisions, as opposed to thinking of history as this static mm. uh, thing that was maybe predetermined from the outset, when in fact it's this incredibly dynamic uh, thing that unfolds gradually over time in response to human decisions. Uh, it's the same thing, you know, with science. Science is often <clears throat> presented as a series of discoveries that other people made who are smarter than you, kid. So don't even bother. Just like just sort of memorize what they learned and, and regurgitate it back on the test. You know, whenever we make a science science game, it's always about putting the player in the role of the scientist and letting them make the discovery so they can see what that feels like. So it's the same thing with Roboco. Really, we're just trying to give them the opportunity to play with these engineering concepts and to have complete agency over how they go about solving these challenges. There's no right or wrong answers. Uh, you know, there are metric, there are constraints, right? As all good engineering challenges always have constraints that inform uh, whether or not your design is better or worse. Uh, but it's but it's really up to you um, and your creativity and ingenuity and engineering understanding uh, to figure out how to design the best solution possible in each scenario. Yeah, Dan, how would someone find out more about Roboco, seeing a demo, how to get it? Yeah, so we have a, web, a website, roboco.co, and anybody who is interested in getting their hands on the game, particularly if they're interested in pilot testing with their students and giving us feedback, as I mentioned, the game is still in development, will probably be releasing sometime late summer, early fall of next year. Uh, so they're, they're, uh, we're always looking for, for feedback, um, particularly from educators and robotics coaches, et cetera, and, and engineers as well, practicing engineers. It's always mm -hmm. great to hear from, from those folks as well uh, about how well the game uh, captures their discipline. Um, so yeah, they can, they can reach out. There's actually a form uh, on the website where people can put down their contact information if they would like to be notified of future playtest opportunities or just be kept up to date uh, about the experience. And of course, people are always welcome to, to email me directly as well. And my email address is just white, like the color at filamentgames.com. 
Okay, so people, if they really wanted to, they could play something right now before it's officially out. Is what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yep. Even kids could there stu- could people students play this if they uh, as wanted? L- as long as people are willing and able to give us feedback about the experience, then we're happy to give access. Yep. In that beta testing stage, it sounds like still. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, and per- we're just about to uh, wrap up programming in the in the early. Uh, parts of 2022 and that's a feature that we'd love to have feedback on in particular yeah gosh and once you enter that realm i'm sure you're gonna have competition from like all those other big name players as well i don't know if lego is looking at what you're doing um and, and joining with you or something yeah so dan i'm curious what games besides roboco do you still want to make you must have lots of thoughts or or ideas coming to you what do you what would you make if you just had all the time and resources Oh wow, <laughs> that's a great question. You know, I I love uh, entomology, and I actually I've just finished reading Michael Crichton's Micro, which if if you haven't read it, is a a story about a number of uh, researchers who get shrunk down to half an inch, basically like the adult version of Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, so <laughs> <Okay. it's, laughs> I was gonna say, is this a slapstick comedy? Or uh, yeah, <laughs> a lot more people die. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's you know classic. It's basically Jurassic Park meets Honey I Shrunk the Kids, essentially. <laughs> but um, okay. you know, there's one of the things that I love about games is we can take players places that they otherwise can't practically go in the real world, either due to cost or logistics or, or danger. Um, and I, I would love to give learners a glimpse into what the world looks like at that scale and how mm. it functions at that scale, because I feel like so many of the systems that underpin ecology in particular are more evident um, from, a, from, a, from the scale of a half inch tall human. Um, and, and of course, bugs are just freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. Um, yeah, when you come out with that game, I will try to play that one as well. So, Oh, man. Yeah, if, if anybody wants to work with me on that NSF grant, definitely hit me up. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you mentioned uh, Lego, and I, I, should, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, too, that we are, we're now officially partnered with First Robotics on, oh, wow. on this, and we will be... Um, uh, anybody who participates in a first program will also have free access to it as well. Um, cool. And we're, we hope to do lots of uh, events, competitions around around the game where uh, just in the same way that FIRST has been doing robotics leagues for three plus decades, um, we hope to have a, a digital league as well. Yeah, Dan, Roboco sounds like a huge... Um a huge deal with all the stuff that could be happening from it. And so I'm really glad that you spent some time talking with me today. Just wanted to say thanks for joining. Thank you so much, Pius. It's been a blast. That was Dan White, CEO of Filament Games. Find links to the resources, video games, and other topics that came up today in this episode's show notes. You can also find everything linked at the podcast website, k12engineering.net. I worked real hard to make it, so go check it out. The K12 Engineering Education Podcast is produced by the indie studio Pios Labs in Austin, Texas. Pios Labs fosters growth in engineering and education through educational technology, digital media, and professional development. Stuff like the Coordinates web app to make math equations more musical, or the Engineering Word of the Day podcast, 
Follow Pios Labs and all those projects everywhere to stay updated. That's P-I-O-S-L-A-B-S. Do you like this podcast and other projects of mine? Help me keep them live. Support my studio, Pios Labs, on Patreon. Thank you so much to the incredible current patrons. You can join at patreon.com slash pioslabs. Remember to subscribe to the show, share it, and give it a rating. Thank you, listener, and until next time.